Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's September 21st and you're listening to episode 14 of Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we will discuss the legacy of LGBTQ rights champion Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about the sale of the best baseball team in the world. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we will discuss how to be gay at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. After that, we're going to share our interview with D.C. area health services organization, Mary Center. So here we go. Before we get into our topics, we always like to give you an update on Team D.C. As a reminder, Team D.C.'s Challenge Cup is coming back. This year's event will be October 17th and will be a virtual event on Zoom. Registration opens today. Go to teamdc.rallyup.com backslash challengecup2 to register now. Teams of five will play games like trivia, celebrity name game, name that tune, charades, and family feud, plus solve puzzles and brain teasers for points. The event finale features a virtual escape room competition. The winning team will get their name on a trophy and win a private party for up to 30 people at Pitchers with complimentary food and beverages. The team can start earning points for the event as soon as you register. All the teams that register by September 28th earn 25 points towards their event score. You can also earn points by referring other teams to register. For every team that registers and names your team as referring them, you'll earn 10 points, and they will earn 5. And you can also buy and sell raffle tickets right from the registration page and earn 2 points for every $10 you raise. Raffle tickets are a dollar each with a minimum purchase of 10, and the raffle prize is 4 lower-level tickets to a mutually agreed-upon future Washington Nationals game. Get your teams together and register now for this fun event. And if you can't join us, you can support Team DC and get a chance to win a great prize by buying raffle tickets. Event registration and raffle ticket sales can be found at teamdc.rallyup.com backslash challengecup2. Gabe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Taking the extra few seconds to hit those buttons or type a quick review means a lot to help us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip under the bleachers. Now for some sober news in the queer world, the passing of U.S. Supreme Court Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She was known as a champion for LGBTQ rights, women's rights, and for her fiery dissents, quick wit, her love of opera, and famous judicial fashion sense. Justice Ginsburg was born on March 15, 1933 in Brooklyn, New York, and graduated from Cornell University and Columbia Law School. 
1970, Justice Ginsburg started the Women's Rights Law Report, which was the first law journal in the U.S. to focus exclusively on women's rights. In 1993, Justice Ginsburg was nominated by President Bill Clinton and confirmed as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. She was the second woman to serve as a Supreme Court Justice. She had joined the majority in every major LGBTQ rights issue that has been before the Supreme Court, including Romer v. Evans in 1996, Lawrence v. Texas in 2003, Windsor v. United States, Hollingsworth v. Perry, and Oberfell v. Hodges in 2013, and recently Bostick v. Clayton County. If you ever had the honor to see and hear Justice Ginsburg on the bench, you knew she had a quick wit that was famously captured in her support of striking down the Defense of Marriage Act. During oral arguments, Justice Ginsburg challenged the government's position on DOMA by saying civil unions are, quote, a skim milk marriage. Every LGBTQ plus American owes the notorious RBG our deepest respects and gratitude for securing our civil rights. Justice Ginsburg was also championed for women's rights. Her fight for equality in all fronts was evident in her career. She's quoted as saying, I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. May her memory be a revolution. Hey, Laura, so how did you feel about the news of our, the passing of the great notorious RBG? Um, devastated on many levels. Um, yeah, <laughs> devastated. Yeah. I mean, RBG is one of my personal heroes, has been for a very long time. Um, you know, as a woman, as somebody who went to law school and is a practicing lawyer, she is just somebody that I've personally admired and looked up to for so long. And she's just the fiercest, she, she was just the fiercest, like, woman. I mean, just this teeny tiny little thing who, but just had so much power in her, in her brain and in her empathy and her anyway yeah so absolutely devastating loss um obviously you know part of what's so devastating about it it would be devastating regardless whenever it happened it was going to be devastating um having it happen right now just six weeks before the election um knowing that she desperately wanted to outlive this presidency um, that devastates me more because I think um, she probably was tormented in her last weeks on this earth by knowing that she wasn't going to make it uh, to the end as far as she wanted to. And she probably was feeling that pressure and really was feeling the torment of that and being very worried for what was going to happen. And that makes me so sad to think that a woman who gave so much of herself for so many people probably was really tortured by this in the last couple of weeks of her life. That is horrifying for me to think about. Yeah, that's one uh, of the hard things. You know, the last couple of days of her life, she's thinking, I have to keep going so that my country can keep going. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that she had to think about that at all is devastating. And the fact that I just think it probably really was a very negative... Um, thing that she was coping with at the end of her life. It's just so hard to think about somebody um, that's like a special kind of suffering, I think. Um, and that's hard to think that she probably was feeling that. Um, and obviously it's also devastating because we are terrified of what this means, um, what the impact on the election might be, how it might impact the way people are going to vote. 
we're terrified that regardless of what comes out of the election, that Trump is going to install another Supreme Court justice before he leaves the presidency, and it's going to be a six to three court. Uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act case is going to be is scheduled for oral argument a week after the election. And I think, you know, if... Oh, yeah, because the legal year starts in October, so it's just right around the corner. Short of some kind of a miracle, the Affordable Care Act is not going to be the law of the land by <laughs> this time next year, right? So, yeah, devastating <laughs> in so many ways. Um, that's how I feel. Thanks for asking. No, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a lot of people like I'm looking at my Facebook feed and just looking at what people are posting and saying, even on both sides of the aisle, it's just insane how they're already talking about, okay, how are we going to refill or how are we going to fill this uh, seat, you know, hours after it was announced? Like, I mean, it's the disgusting desire for, I mean, what goes through Mitch McConnell's brain that within hours of hearing that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away, he is out here in the news, like announcing his intention to fill her seat as fast as he fucking can. It's just so craven and disgusting. This morning, I got a fucking fundraising email from DonaldJTrump.com. So the email came from DonaldJTrump.com and it says, friend, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was an amazing woman who led an amazing life. The president is right. We have an obligation to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court without delay. At this critical moment, he's counting on his strongest supporters like you to step up and make America great again. For the next hour, all gifts 800% matched. I mean, this motherfucker is sending out... <laughs> A fundraising email. A fundraising email prof to try to profit off the death of a fucking icon. And it's just disgusting because he has the nerve to, like, they have the nerve to open the email with fake praise of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and then to make it sound as if filling her spot immediately is somehow in, in honor of her, which is, you know, as we know, is the exact opposite of what her dying fucking declaration wish was. As quoted by her granddaughter, one of her last words were that she, it's her, like, wish that the president will not fill her, fill her spot and then it won't be filled until after the election but he's out here not 24 hours later fundraising and saying it's, you know, his obligation to honor her legacy by replacing her. It's just gross. And I don't even have a joke. I don't even have anything. I just, I don't have anything positive to say. I, 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 I don't, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I mean, I'm overwhelmed with despair. I mean, we could spin that and like use that as a push to get people to go out and vote and you know hopefully... What? I actually do have something. Sorry. I just remembered. Um, there's a, I have give, donated a couple of times to this fund called the Get Mitch or Die Trying Fund, which is a fund that was started by the media group Crooked Media, which is a media group that was founded by a bunch of former Obama staffers. They're famous for the podcast Pod Save America, and they have a bunch of other stuff. 
So months ago, they started this fund that they call Get Mitch or Die Trying, and you can donate it to it, donate to it, go to votesaveamerica.com and find the Get Mitch or Die Trying Fund. The fund splits all the donations between um, various Senate races. None of them are Mitch McConnell's race. They are all races that are very close, very flippable. Um, it, they are in Colorado, Georgia, Maine, um, North Carolina. I'm not remembering all of them, but they, they studied it, figured out what the 10 most flippable seats are, and they are raising money and giving it to those campaigns to try to take the gavel from Mitch McConnell's disgusting little hands. And last night, the fund was at $3 million before, you know, the news came out. After the news came out, the fund started trending on Twitter. And then a bunch of celebrities started stepping up and saying they were going to match donations to the fund. And overnight, the fund went from $3 million to, I think the last time I looked at it, they had raised 16 or $17 million. Oh. Yeah, there, people are talking about uh, you know, Act Blue and all the different uh, democratic organizations that are raising money. Just yeah, I mean, Act insane Blue, amount of money Blue, last night. The Get Mitch or Die Trying Fund is one of the funds on Act Blue. So, yeah. but that fund alone um, raised like twelve million dollars in the last twenty-four hours. So, it that that is, I guess, a positive ray that you know people are fired up about this. People are focused. I hope that in the next couple of weeks, everybody calls. Susan Collins' office, calls Tom Tillis's office. We know that Lisa Murkowski um, and Mitt Romney have already said that they would not be willing to vote on a Supreme Court nomination at this stage. So we need two more Republicans to refuse to vote if we want to stop them from filling this seat right away. So we need to start calling any persuadable Republican in the Senate and try our damnedest to get them to refuse to vote um, on a nominee. It's the only hope we have. No, yeah. So um, I just encourage everybody, look up the numbers, start calling. I think Susan Collins is probably a good... <sighs> I, I don't feel optimistic, I'm not going to lie, about any of them, but I think she's a good place to, to try. I think Tom Tillis, like I said, is a good place to try. I think Cory Gardner is a good place to try. You know, you got to find the people who are vulnerable. It's the same people that were giving money to their opponents because they're the flippable yeah. seats, right? But you got to call those people and tell them if they want to, you know, that if they want to keep their job, they should stand up for, um, you know, for what's right. I, I, I just, I don't know. I throw my hands up in the air, Gabe, because I just, it, I'm, ha I'm struggling to find anything positive or whatever to say about any of this, but rest I mean, in power, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because she deserves a rest. <laughs> she deserves the rest. She earned it. Um, but man, is she going to be missed? Yeah. I think, you know, as members of the LGBTQ plus community, we have to respect her and, live up her legacy and band together and work, you know, our hardest the next six weeks to make sure that this election, you know, it happens fairly. People aren't discouraged, but people go out and vote. Yeah. And, and that's right. And that's absolutely right. And as a woman, I feel it even more. Nobody dedicated their life to raising up women 
and women's equality than Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, she's, she did more in her lifetime to um, strengthen the role that women have in this country and our rights than anyone. So um, I feel blessed to have lived on this earth at the same time as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I will never forget the impact that she had on my life. All right, now for my next topic, hopefully it's a bit more uplifting. Again, it's closer to home, for you at least. Now for my sports topic, the Mets may have a new owner. Billionaire hedge fund manager Stephen Cohen has reached an agreement to purchase 95% of the New York Mets for a whopping $2.42 billion, or as late-night host Seth Meyers says, $31.6 million per loss. This is the largest sale in MLB history. And here's a little backstory on the deal. The Mets were falling behind with signing talent in 2019 as division rivals loaded their teams. Cohen was a silent partner and previously owned 8% of the team. Former owner Fred Wilpon had been struggling with debt over his investment with the Bernie Madoff scandal. And Tiki Barber was one of the first to break the news that rumors were swirling of a sale in December of 2019. Seven potential bidders were approved by the MLB in July that included A-Rod and J-Lo, Florida Panthers owner Vinny Viola, and Vibin Water co-founders Mike Rapole. This is the second time Steve Cohen has tried to purchase the majority of the team, which previously fell through. The deal does not include the regional sports network SNY, which Cohen bid an additional $2 billion for. With the new owner in deep pockets, the Mets will have the resources to sign big-name free agents to add to their already well-developed pool of players. Is this the making of a new baseball powerhouse? And Laura, as a Mets fan, what's your take? LFGM? Well, yeah, of course. That's <laughs> fucking good. But, you know, I, uh, I mean, I'm actually really thrilled about this move. I, Mets Twitter is all abuzz. Uh, Mets fans have been wanting to um, get rid of the Wilpons forever. Even before the Bernie Madoff nonsense, they were notoriously terrible about being willing to spend money on developing their club. And then after the Madoff thing, it all just went off the rails. But I mean, this, the Madoff thing was years ago, right? They could have yeah. recovered by now and have not. They just, they, ne they haven't had um, interest in investing in the team in a long time. So, I mean, I take issue with you saying a new baseball powerhouse as if the Mets were never a good, were never a baseball powerhouse. Like they absolutely have been. I mean, they were in the World Series like four years ago. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but nobody cares. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> won't, won't. Uh, no, but anyway, do I think that ultimately this should be good for the New York Mets? Absolutely. I think having ownership that's actually willing to invest in the team is a big deal. Um, not only is Steve Cohen ungodly rich, he's also himself a Mets fan and like a pretty avid like Mets fan. So I think he, he grew actually, up. He grew up watching the right games. like he's more personally invested in wanting the team to win and not just have it as an investment so i actually think yes absolutely this first of all with the will ponds like it couldn't get worse so um i, I yeah now i think it's going to take some time for this to like pay dividends although i also think steve cohen seems strikes me as the kind of guy who likes to be splashy and I, oh, wouldn't yeah. be, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, right out the gates, he wants to throw some huge sum of money at a major uh, free agent for next year to just, like, 
make a big name move. So it'll be interesting to see, but I do think probably there's, you know, it's going to take a few years to see how it really takes root. And if it's like going to be a solid lasting change, how it's going to play out. But like I said, I think it can be nothing but better. And uh, I am optimistic. Yeah, because I think if this actually goes through, the the Mets are going to have the financial resources now, and someone who's actually going to want to go out and buy, you know, talent. Yeah, uh, but I they also have a- the Wilpons are fucking rich. They're just yes. assholes, right? Like they had the resources, they just they just don't want to. That's right. They were not interested in spending the money to make the team better. That just was not there. They were not motivated. So, but and, I mean, this guy's but, a, he's a Mets fan. He doesn't like to lose. He wants right. to see the team get better. Yes. And for me, it's going to be, a, it's a dangerous powerhouse for, again, you know, it's, it's a dangerous combination for other teams because they have a really good development side of the team. And yeah. now they have the finances to get these big name players that it's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like because baseball doesn't have the salary cap and because there's such a difference between markets the two teams in New York really should be like perennial powerhouses. And I think this, this change will um, make that more likely to be so. Now, the Wilpons have money. Steve Cohen has money. Like Steve Cohen makes the Wilpons look poor. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the man has so much money. And the reality is I don't think anybody knows just how rich he is because he is one of these shady fucking hedge fund billionaires. I will um, tell you exactly. So, like, I'm sure he's got money stashed everywhere. Um, he pretty famously was part of a insider trading problem a few yep. years back um, where, you know, he wasn't personally implicated. Like, some of the guys who traded for his fund ended up actually going to prison. He did not, but he was the owner of the fund. He was, like, running the whole thing. So he was um, punished through that role. It's very hard for me to believe that he... <laughs> Didn't it no. wasn't at least getting a little bit of personal benefit off of that too? And it's also like that would not surprise me to learn that he's got a few billion stashed elsewhere that we don't know about. So the man's got money, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how he what he chooses to do. But I would bet you that he's going to come out of the gate hot, and uh, you're going to see some pretty big moves this off season from the New York Mets. Well, you never know. A-Rod and J-Lo can swoop in and we can have J-Lo running the team. Uh, okay. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> the owner doesn't run the team. Second of all, I, I would like to think that she would. She would. J-Lo would maybe be more of the marketing side. Hopefully A-Rod would have a little bit of say in the baseball operations. But, you know, I got no problem if A-Rod and J-Lo want to own the Mets. I don't care who owns the Mets as long as it's somebody who's willing to spend some money to um, make the Mets better. Well, let's see what happens. Uh, probably by the end of the year, let's see if this deal goes through. And we'll come back to the story and see what, you know, predictions <laughs> are true and the Mets actually do something or, you know, they keep losing money. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, <laughs> they'll probably lose some money here and there, but whatever. And uh, as I understand it, the MLB owners are meeting in November for the final approval of this deal. So we'll see what happens. Is going to be a lot of big, th- big things coming out of November this year? Uh, well, let's fucking go Mets. And with that, 
why don't you tell me about what's going on at the intersection of sports and queer this week? All right. For this week's topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we're going to discuss how to be gay, specifically in a Gulf state country. The 2022 FIFA World Cup is scheduled to take place in November, December in Qatar. The path for teams to qualify has been laid out, and FIFA's six continental confederations have announced qualifying tournaments. CONCACAF revealed the first round groups for their qualifying tournaments. Side note, that's our confederation for the U.S., Mexico, Canada, and a bunch of other countries. Soccer fans like me look forward to the World Cup, and diehard fans start arranging their travel to the host nations. But LGBTQ fans have had to make hard choices and had to put themselves at risk for danger, like traveling to Russia in 2018, and now Qatar. Both countries have been notorious for their anti-LGBTQ plus laws and civil rights abuses. Qatar's national law criminalizes homosexuality with the penalty of one to three years in prison, and in 2013 joined a number of Persian Gulf states in supporting laws that prevent homosexuals and transgender individuals from entering the country. FIFA's World Cup 2022 Chief Executive Nasser Al-Qatar assured LGBTQ plus fans that the tournament would be welcoming and they'd have nothing to worry about. Any fan of any gender, sexual orientation, religion, race, should rest assured that Qatar is one of the most safe countries in the world, and they'll all be welcomed here. But he also went on to say, public displays of affection are frowned upon, and it's not part of our culture. But that goes across the board to everybody. So if you're traveling to the World Cup, stay away from the PDA, especially if you're gay. The 2022 tournament will be the first to be hosted in the Arab world and in a predominantly Muslim country. But how can we balance respect for an individual and respect for culture? Hopefully 2026 will be a more welcoming environment for gay fans who want to cheer their favorite football team. All right, Laura, any plans to visit Qatar for the uh, World Cup? Hell no. <laughs> or Russia previously. That was, that was a tough Fuck one. no. And this is the crazy thing. So I have a group of friends. We usually all get together for the Mexican games. And I had a lot of friends who went to Brazil for the World Cup. Some went to South Africa. I mean, we start planning early because as soon as they announce it, you know, announce the dates of the countries. Everybody gets together, starts making their plans. You know, what are we doing? Normally it's in the summer because it's so hot in Qatar. They had to move it to the fall, which kind of changes your, your schedules and stuff like that. But, you know, for the past, it's going to be almost eight years, people, especially LGBTQ fans, are saying, well, do we really want to go to Russia? And, you know, yeah, we missed the, the last one. And no. now, Honestly, the do we really want to go to Qatar? Well, I think, yeah. honestly, it bothers me that um, tournaments like this are hosted by countries like that. I think um, if you're going to have a, an international tournament, it shouldn't be held in a country where it is little, literally illegal to exist for some people. Yeah. That is not okay. And I, I'm all for respecting... Um, culture up to a point the same way i'm all for respecting people's religious beliefs up to a point and the point is where it starts infringing on the rights of other human beings to exist if you are going to I, i'm not okay like i don't respect a culture if it's is it part of culture to make it illegal to be gay i don't know 
But if you're going, if you want to call that culture, like I'm, I'm sorry, no, I don't think you should respect that. You should respect people's culture and their religious beliefs only up to the point that they're not threatening um, the humanity of other human beings. Um, that's where I draw a line. I'll never, I'm not going to respect somebody's culture if their culture is to say that gay people are illegal. <laughs> I mean, that's just too much. So I personally think that tournaments that are international in nature should not allow them to be hosted in countries like Qatar until Qatar changes those laws. And I'm not talking about changing the minds of people because unfortunately we'll never be able to change everybody's mind. But as long as it's state sanctioned discrimination, then I think it's fair to say they shouldn't be allowed to participate in this way. So I find it really disappointing. And yeah, that's what I have to say about it. Yeah, because I find it really hard, you know, as a gay soccer fan, you know, trying to make plans to go to the World Cup. I've always wanted to go and I've had friends who've gone. It's like, well, I can't go, you know, in 2022 because I wouldn't feel safe. No, I think FIFA is showing an enormous amount of disrespect for their gay fans by being willing to allow a country that makes it illegal to be gay to even bid, be eligible to even bid to host a World Cup tournament. It's enormous amount of disrespect to gay LGBT fans. It, it's gross to me. It bothers me so much. It, um, yeah, no, I, I, I hate it. I see no, I, there's no gray here for me. I'm not worried about respecting their religion or their culture, because like I said, I draw a line where your religion or culture threatens my humanity. Nope. Makes it a problem. Yeah, Cause I see what FIFA's trying to do. You know, normally the world cup was either held in North or South America or Europe. You know, the first one held kind of outside of those areas was when they did, you know, the first one in Africa was in South Africa. And then they're trying to do the first one, kind of in like Central Asia and the Arab world where they picked Qatar. But it's just, yeah, it's, it's tough when, I mean, I don't even know how many gay soccer fans there are, but I can tell you in D.C. there are tons. Yeah, and, and I don't care. Around the even world, it doesn't matter. Even yeah. if there was zero. It, no. It, it doesn't matter. Are you going to try to tell me there's no gay soccer players playing in the World Cup? Yeah. And now we're sending them to Qatar where it's illegal to be gay to play in the biggest tournament of their career. No, fuck that. What are they doing? What are they even thinking? This is ridiculous. What do we do? Yeah. How, how oh, can we awful. do that? And I'm all for opening up the World Cup to more locations. Absolutely. Like it shouldn't always be in Germany, Great Britain and Canada, right? Or whatever, Brazil. It should, it should be all over the place. We should, but, but you know, and the reason like, they're like, oh, we're going to open it up to this region. And everybody's like, am I supposed to be surprised that Qatar, this fucking little evil nation that collects all the world's oil money? Like, of course they won the bid, <laughs> right? Like they have all the money, they have all the oil and they fucking put people in prison for being gay. Think about that. I mean, it's horrifying. So yeah, no, I, this whole thing is gross to me. Of course, you know, uh, whatever. I, we, we have so many bigger fish to fry right now as the LGBT community. This isn't like where I'm expending all of my energy. But yeah, I don't get your head out of your ass, FIFA. That's all I have to say. Well, you know, 2026, it's going to be here in Canada and, or the US, Canada, and Mexico. So hopefully we'll have a chance to correct some wrongs in the world 
That's right. I can't wait. And DC is uh, is bidding. Is bidding, bidding to, to host some uh, of the games. So go uh, look it up. Support us in our support DC in the bid. Hopefully, we'll get to watch some World Cup right here at home. All right. Well, Gabe. This is usually the part where I say this was a really nice chat and I was really glad to catch up with you this week, but this has been a little bit of a slog, man. I don't know. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough Uh, year. It really has. Enough already. Enough. I mean, when John Lewis passed away earlier this year, I would have had a hard time if you had asked me then if there could be, you know, a greater icon that would, that could die this year. And... (laughs) the just absolute gut punch that is losing rbg is almost too much for me to want to go on but i had a couple of friends over today we socially distanced six feet apart from each other on my patio and wrote get out the vote letters to uh voters in arizona and i'm going to do a little text banking this evening and a little bit more text banking tomorrow so you know every whatever i can do to kind of keep the faith and keep moving forward and not just completely give up on this fucking hellscape is what i'm trying to do right now and i hope everybody out there is doing the same yep totally agree i've been writing letters and texting and calling so yeah people if you can't give money you can give some time yeah and do whatever two hours who cares do whatever you have to do to feel a little bit better about everything that's going on. And, and if you haven't tried doing anything like voter turnout stuff or anything like that, I encourage you to give it a try. You might be surprised by just how much it does make you feel better when you get into it. Totally agree. All right. That's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to share our interview with D.C. area health services organization, Mary's Center. All right. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have Aram Thurman from Mary's Center. Hey, Aram. How's it going? You know, not too bad for a Monday. I've been looking forward to chatting with you guys for a while now, so I'm glad to finally virtually be here and talking with you all. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, being available to be interviewed today. Uh, (laughs) So for some of our listeners uh, who are not sure or don't know about Mary Center, uh, we know Mary Center is a nonprofit community health center. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Mary Center and how it got started? Absolutely. So Mary Center started about three decades ago in 1988. So we offer prenatal services uh, to women that were escaping civil war from uh, Central America, countries like El Salvador and Honduras. And granted, we've grown so much from then, but that's exactly where we started, uh, right here in D.C. about 30 years ago. Awesome. And uh, what kind of health services does Mary Center offer? We offer a variety of things. Like I said, we started at prenatal and we've grown so much since then. So we offer medical services, dental services, behavioral health. And one of the things that really separates us is we even offer social services and literary services as well. And my clinic. I got to plug my clinic, too. Or, you know, I work in the uh, sexual health department. So I'm the outreach coordinator for them. And so one of the things that we do in our sexual health department is we offer uh, testing for STIs, such as chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV, and even providing PrEP to people. So if people want to come to Mary Center for STI testing, is that something that they need an appointment for? Or do you do that on a drop-in basis? 
you know, everything now was like pre-COVID and after COVID. So pre-COVID, one of the things that we loved about our sexual health clinic is you didn't need an appointment because we wanted to remove those barriers to care. So you could just show up and you didn't even need insurance. You didn't have to even pay out of pocket. You just showed up and say, hey, I need to be tested. And we had a sexual health coordinator named Chanel. She took right care of you. And so now that things are COVID, you know, we're doing things a little differently now. Um, you just need to call Chanel and I have a phone number for her. What you would do is you call her. Chanel will ask you a few questions and basically she'll tell you what time to show up. You could, I mean, you could do it that day. You can do it a couple hours before you want to come. So not quite an appointment, but just kind of like making a reservation. But as far as showing up, you still don't need any insurance. You don't have to have any uh, money to pay out of pocket. You just call Chanel. She'll ask you a few screening questions and she'll tell you what time to go and you just show up and get tested. Awesome. That's a, awesome. Really, yeah, that's so, a really great service that you guys offer. So Laura and I remember uh, Mary's Center because we both played darts this past that's season. Right. And you should have my rogue darts t-shirt on. I wasn't, I'm not wearing it today, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. But can you, can you talk a little bit about uh, your involvement with rogue darts and all, any of the other uh, events or groups that you work with? Well, we work with um, rogue darts. So one of the things that we were so happy with, they were like, we're going to be at Nelly's to, for our dart games. If you guys want to come in and set up and do testing, come on. And I thought that was incredible. So with that partner with, with them, to come in and what we do there is not just HIV testing. A lot of times with you see the mobile testing um, agencies, they do HIV testing and we do offer that. But also too, we'll do um, test you for STIs as well. So we'll go into the bathroom or let you go in the bathroom and we'll take our, your sample back to our clinic and we'll provide you with the results typically uh, two to three days later. So while you're in there playing darts and uh, drinking some beer and you need to get STI tested, you can come right over to our table and, you know, without skipping a beat, get you done probably less than 10 minutes, honestly. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, let me ask you, beyond the sexual health clinic, what is the, um, who is the rest of the health services at Mary Center available to? Who are they available to? Um, and do folks need insurance to get services? That's a great question, because a lot of people, I know we just talked about how we began. So a lot of people, when they think of Mary Center, they go, okay, Latino pregnant women. And we've grown so much since then. Um, everyone, we welcome everyone. So whether you're male, woman, um, English speaking, or non-English speaking, children, like everyone's welcome to Mary Center. And we provide services to everyone, because we offer a variety of services now. Okay, great. And um, can you tell us where the Mary Center locations are? So we have five locations. We have three locations in DC. You have the Petworth location, which is where you need to get tested for an STI through our sexual health clinic that I was talking about. That's the location you need to go to. We have our Adams Morgan location and we have a Fort Totten location. And then we have two locations in Maryland, which is in Silver Spring and Adelphi. And also too, we offer two senior wellness centers. So if you're a DC resident, we have two senior wellness centers in DC. So you just have to be a DC resident and over the age of 60. So when I say everyone is welcome, uh, no one is overlooked. Everyone's welcome. Awesome, okay. So I was reading on your website that Mary Center prides themselves um, in operating under what they call a social change model. Do you, um, can you tell us anything about what that is and how that makes Mary Center different from other healthcare centers? 
Yeah, what makes us unique and what I really, uh, when I started at Mary Center, one of the things that I was drawn to was the uh, social change model. So basically, Mary Center felt like just treating health problems was insufficient. So how can you, how can we expand on that? And then that's where all these other services came in. So you go into a doctor, you know, you might have an ailment, but how can we expand on that? And so we offer social services, literary services. The goal is to basically create stability for you. So the more that we can help you and the services that we can provide you to help create that stability, the better off you'll be. So, and all of that is under one roof. So you come to us and let's say you don't have insurance. Um, there's somebody on hand that will work with you to try to get you insurance, you know, Medicaid or whatnot to see what you uh, can qualify for. Or let's say you don't speak English. You know, we offer language classes there and it's all under this one roof. So it's almost a one-stop shopping, but it just, <laughs> you know, you could come in and just have everything taken care of for you. And that provides a lot of peace of mind for a lot of people. And like I said, it offers stability to those individuals. Can you give us an example or a story of how uh, you've seen some of the work that Mary, Center's do, uh, that Mary Center does and how it makes a difference in the DC community? Absolutely. So I'm a big crybaby. So one of the <laughs> things that I, <laughs> that I really, really love about my job is um, going into the communities that are typically overlooked and communities that um, are just, they've been jaded, they've been overlooked, and going into these communities and talking to them about our services and then offering our services to them. And one of the things that always moves me to tears is when I, I have a conversation with someone or I take the time to answer their questions and they're just so thankful that somebody came and they were listened to. And that's because of Mary Center, you know, that where they go, you know, have free range to go out into these communities and really not just say we're part of these communities, but get in there, you know, get dirty, be a part of them. And people are res responsive to that. And that's what always just moves me, just that simple act of kindness where people are just like, thank you for listening to me. And that brings so many people into Mary Center because I'm like, I'm just a, an extension of that. So. Yeah, that's a that's a really great um, feeling. I think you know, seeing the seeing, getting the opportunity to see the people who are positively impacted by the work that you do is such a great thing. So it is, yeah. and and just on top of that, I was thinking about with COVID. You know, we saw you know people were coming in uh, just to get tested and just to see what was going on. But one of the things that I loved is we just didn't stop there with okay, let's test you. Um, for COVID, but it was like, if you're facing hardships, let us connect you with resources in the community. Let's talk about food. Let's talk about uh, clothing. Let's talk about housing. And again, that's still part of that social change model, but I really got to see that firsthand uh, during the COVID pandemic, right when it started. Because a lot of people were being laid off and they didn't know where to turn. So a lot of them came to us and we didn't turn anybody away. We were like, let's find you some resources. Let's get you taken care of. Awesome. That's good to hear, especially coming from someone in the community. And you can see that you're actually helping the community. You can see that all the help is staying in town. Yeah. Beyond health services, I know that Mary Center gets involved in some advocacy. Do you um, have any details about that that you would like to share? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to talk about from the aspect of uh, my sexual health department. Yeah. So one great. of the things that I was so proud of and happy to be a part of was uh, the work we did with all the pride. So we just didn't do capital pride 
last year, we signed on to every product that there was. And we even, one of the things that I just remember standing out because I could see that change is we signed on to do a trans product. And to me, it just stuck out to me because I enjoyed it because the conversations that I had were so meaningful, you know, because the community was just so thankful that again, that, oh, Mary Center is a place that I can go to. And they were able to ask questions about services we provide. And they were like, those are services that I need. So we went from not having many, serving many in the trans community to watching that grow. So me watching that number grow. And again, like I said, Mary Center, walking at walk and talking at talk, really being a part of these communities and, and involved in them. Yeah, 100%. No, that's great. I know that, you know, where to get health services is often a daunting question for trans folks. And it's good to know that that you guys are visible at Pride so that people can find you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is there anything you wish that people knew more about that Mary Center did or any issues that they're trying to solve? One of the things that, again, that I'm always fighting in the community is we serve everyone. Again, <laughs> you know, that seems to be the running theme. I think everyone feels like, uh, you know, Latino pregnant women. That just seems to be, <laughs> if, I, if I don't fit into that, then I can't go there. And I want people to know we serve everyone. If you need services, come to us. You don't have to even have to have insurance. One of the things that Mary Center has done is really uh, remove barriers to care. So like I said, there's numerous locations that you can go to. Um, if you don't have insurance, that's not a problem. If you don't have money, we offer a sliding fee scale. But again, like I said, you could come to us and they'll find somebody to try to work with you to get you insurance. But I just want more people to know that Mary Center is open to everyone. Yeah, and I gather that means that even though Mary Center is a nonprofit organization, people shouldn't feel um, wrong about going if they don't consider themselves to be in financial need. Or that's a good point, because a lot of people are unaware of this, and you just reminded me, but we offer basically a a model where um, get care, gift care. So if you come in and you do have private insurance, okay, and we treat you, by us treating you, it allows us to treat two people that wouldn't have insurance. And um, that's something that I'm always proud of and I love talking about because not too many clinics do that. And I'm always telling people, like you said, where people feel like, well, I have insurance or I have private insurance so they won't see me. No, come, because by you coming to us, that's a great way that by just you getting your care, your medical care, you're helping two other people in the community. Wow, oh, that's I didn't know that. That's really great. That's that's uh I'm glad you brought it up or you made me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's a really cool uh you know, sort of side effect to think about. Like you you're you know, you're getting help and you're giving help at the same time. That's absolutely, absolutely. You're gonna do it anyway, right? So why not do it in a way that you can help other people? Yeah, no, that's right. Um, let me ask you a question. I know that um at least I should say I've anecdotally heard that the DC area has one of the higher um, sort of per capita rates of STI issues. Is that still the case? Is that something that Mary Center is particularly focusing on and and, uh, trying to address? Absolutely, especially in my department. So I'm the sexual, again, sexual uh, health clinic. So one of the things that we're looking at are those numbers. And What's scary is certain communities in D.C., certain wards, you know, so you're looking at Ward 7, Ward 8. When you look at those numbers, I'm even going to talk about, zoom in specifically on HIV. Some of those numbers resemble some third world countries. 
just the numbers are that high. So like I said, one of our jobs is to go into these communities to educate because a lot of people are just unaware. And I'm a little thinking about um, black women in uh, particular, their numbers for HIV are uh, second highest right now in DC. And I'm not even talking about nationally. So in DC, so going into these communities and going, hey, you're at risk. Let's talk about how we can protect ourselves. Let's talk about what healthy sex is and having this conversation and these dialogues and educating these women what PrEP is. A lot of them haven't even heard of it or they may have seen a commercial or thought, you know, if, I, if I'm a gay man, then I need to take this pill. But it's like, no, you need to take this pill if you're living in D.C. and you're in these areas where it's high risk. So just having those conversations, because D.C. is really high. I'm one of the highest in the countries, actually, in the country. Yeah. Okay. So now you said something that made me feel very ignorant, and I need to ask this question. <laughs> Hopefully I got the answer more. <laughs> well, so I was under the impression that PrEP um, was something that wasn't available for people that were assigned female at birth. Is that not correct? That's incorrect, in a sense, because there's two pills. So... Um, there's an appeal that's on the market now that you could take for PrEP called Descovy. And so if you are assigned a female at birth, that pill will not be right for you. Okay. But there's another pill called Truvada that has been used for PrEP for quite a while now. And that pill, if you're a born female or assigned female at birth, that pill would work for you. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> but again, I mean, but that, like I said, it's just the, having these conversations. My thing is, you don't know what you don't know. So no, I love right. having these conversations, right? <laughs> yeah, and these are and very important um, pieces of information that people absolutely need access to. So I'm really glad that, you know, people like you are, are around and available to, to get information out about this. Absolutely. So how can someone uh, help support Mary's Center and help the programs and what, what uh, the good work that y'all are doing in the community? is um, come in and get care. So if you have private insurance um, and you need to get care, come in. Because like I said, we have the um, get care, give care. So by you coming in that way, you're taking care of two other people in the community. That's one way. Also, too, you can hop on to our website, which is marycenter.org. And there's ways that you can volunteer. We love volunteers. I need volunteers in the community, just in my department, but uh, throughout Mary Center, there's a lot of ways that you can volunteer. And then also too, your money can go a long way. So again, on our website, you can see how you can donate. Um, I wanted to highlight the fact that for anybody who doesn't know that Mary Center has been a consistent longtime supporter of Team DC and the Team DC College Scholarship Program. So we are very grateful to you for that. Um, but I just wanted to ask if you have any comment as to why for Mary Center it's important for you to support other community organizations and um, maybe the Team DC Scholarship Program and specific, specifically. No, absolutely. So, I mean, as you know, Mary Center is a community health center. So you can say that you're a community health center and disregard some communities, right? So we wanna make sure that we're a part and we serve all communities. And I just was at the scholarship um, a presentation, I guess about a week ago is when it was. Mm -hmm. And I was able to present our scholarship to a young lady named Michaela. And she said to us, you know, I just came out the closet a couple weeks ago. And that meant a lot, you know, and I said, Mary Center appreciates your bravery. 
And it just let us know that we're doing the right thing. You know, we're supporting these teams that are displaying bravery on the field and off the field in a personal life. And it's a way of saying you have this support system behind you. You know, I was able to give her, you know, my card and go, hey, if there's anything that you need, call me. You know, if I can't get it to you, maybe we could find a resource to make sure that you have it. And that's what Mary Center is all about. It's about being part of this community. And like I said, presenting these scholarships is a great way to do that. It's getting these kids, reminding these kids, letting them know that there is a community behind them that supports them and an advocate for them. Yep, that's exactly why we do what we do, right? <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. I'm so glad to be a part of it. So where can our listeners learn more about the information that Mary Center provides and about the services? Please, please, please go to our webpage, which is marycenter.org. Um, you can check us out on Facebook, which is Mary Center, and our Instagram, which is Mary Center as well. And then also, too, if you have any questions, you can contact our main line, which is 202 483 4196. And if you need to get tested for an STI, um, that's really important too. Even though it's COVID, uh, there's other stuff still going on, right? So if you need to get tested, contact Chanel at our sexual health clinic. And her number is 202-699-2163. Like I said, we try to make it as easy as possible. If you need to get tested, you could call that number. She's going to ask you a few questions and tell you when to pop up to the clinic to get tested. It's really that simple. I want to thank you for stopping by and chatting with us before we hang up on you. Is there anything we missed or anything else that's important that you think people need to know about Mary Center? I just want them to know it's easy to get tested. I cannot stress that enough. We remove those barriers. Please, please, please know your status, get tested. If you have questions about prep, come see us. We've even made that easy uh, where we have a prep coordinator on hand. Like I said, we've removed all those things that where it's been complicated where there's no excuses you know it's awesome. easy mary center has done it. yeah all right terrific well thanks again really appreciate it and uh, i hope we get to chat again soon i hope so thanks for listening to this episode of under the bleachers under the bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of team dc for more information about team dc please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting under the bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC. 